Hello and welcome to Sit, Stay, Listen with the Kentucky Humane Society. I'm your host, Kate Sayall, certified professional dog trainer, coming to you from Forward Radio 106.5 FM. I'm here to answer your questions about your pets and their behavior, why they do what they do, and how you can live your best lives with your pets. So be sure to send those questions to me. I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me through the Kentucky Humane Society Facebook page, or you can send an email to behavior at kyhumane.org. Be sure to visit our website, forwardradio.org, and you can catch all of our previous episodes of Sit, Stay, Listen, and all of the other programs available from your grassroots community radio station. And remember that we are listener-supported, so don't forget to hit that donate button. Last week's show, I had a great interview with one of our trainers, Katie McClellan, and we talked in pretty great detail about leash reactivity in dogs. These are dogs that want to often lunge and bark and might try and get to something like another dog when they're out for a walk. And this was definitely one of those interviews that made me wish that my show was a one-hour segment instead of a 30-minute segment because there was so much fantastic information in there and I just couldn't fit it all into one show. And fortunately, I was able to get some really great follow-up questions that you all sent, so thank you very much for those. So I'll be including a little bit more information from that interview in today's show just to follow up on some of those questions in addition to answering some of the other questions that you've sent in this week. So in picking up where we left off, in talking about reactive dogs, one of the biggest challenges that our owners and handlers have is finding appropriate ways and outlets to exercise their dogs. Taking them for walks obviously is very, very difficult when they want to lunge and bark and pull and have a really unpleasant and ultimately inappropriate reaction to seeing another dog, for example, out on a leash. And so this means that taking walks is not really the best option in terms of exercise and enrichment. Not only does it allow our dog to rehearse a behavior that we ultimately do not want them practicing, because remember, the more that you practice something, the better you get at it. We do not want them to get better at being reactive. But it also means that they're associating walks with having a bad time, with a high level of stress, a high level of a negative type of excitement. And so that's not the type of exercise or enrichment that we really want our dogs to have. We want it to be something that is positive, that is fun, and ultimately something that helps them relax. Now, obviously, that does not mean that you do not walk your dog at all if your dog has reactivity challenges. That means that when you do take your dog for walks, that those walks are for training. And Katie and I get into this in a lot more detail in last week's episode, so be sure to go to the website, forwardradio.org, and listen to that episode in its entirety. 
When you go out for a walk with a reactive dog, those walks are very structured. You have very specific responsibilities and very specific goals. You have to be very aware of your surroundings. They're not going to be quiet, relaxed, leisurely walks. They need to have a lot of structure. So when it comes to looking for fun, positive, relaxing enrichment activities, a walk is not going to be the best option for your dog. We're gonna look for some alternatives. And Katie had some great recommendations for that. If you have a dog that is reactive and it doesn't matter if it is a friendly reaction or a not friendly reaction, I always tell people your walks are now training walks, which means we don't want them practice behavior. So we go out on our walk with the intention of practicing calm behavior around other dogs. And we need to get our dogs exercise some other way. So if you have a fenced in backyard, you can exercise your dog in the yard. Don't use walks as exercise. And if you don't have a fenced in backyard, you can get creative with enrichment, with exercise in the house. Because mental stimulation can be just as exhausting, if not more exhausting, than physical stimulation. Personally, I don't walk my dogs. I know that sounds bad to some people, but my dogs don't need walks for exercise. We play in the yard. We play in the house. And my dogs get to go with me to places like feeders or to the park, but I don't walk my dogs because it's something that dogs can enjoy, but it's not something that all dogs enjoy. And it's not something that is necessary for all dogs, especially if you have a reactive dog. Those walks can quickly go from this is fun to, oh my gosh, I hate this, both for you and for your dog, if your dogs are not behaving well on walks. And there are a lot of options for enrichment too. And I know for you, you compete with your dogs in agility, you compete in nose work. So when you say enrichment, you're not just talking about running in the backyard or having toys at home. You're talking about all kinds of different things that you can do for your dog to keep their brains busy, to give them activities to do. So the options are endless. I often hear, well, my dog has toys to chew at home. But when you say enrichment, we're talking about some cooperative, interactive activities that you and your dog are absolutely engaged in together. Yes, absolutely. And honestly, for some dogs, Enrichment can be as fun as we go to the drive-thru and the lady at the bank gives us a biscuit, or we go to McDonald's and we get an ice cream cone, or we go to Starbucks and get a pup cup. You know, riding in the car can be an enriching, exciting activity for some dogs. Obviously, some dogs hate the car, but if your dog likes the car, and your dog is not reacting to dogs outside of the car that they see on walks, that car ride could be a great enrichment activity. And I think this is just a great reminder in general 
that enrichment and exercise really isn't just about physical exercise or really shouldn't just be about physical exercise. And if we rely too much on physical exercise, what we're actually going to be doing is creating athletes or even on a far enough end of the spectrum, adrenaline junkies that are going to be so dependent on physical exercise that if they don't get a certain amount every single day, we're going to have dogs that aren't able to settle. So it's important that our dogs aren't overly dependent on taking super long walks or going for that five mile run to be able to get that exercise and enrichment. So while your dog might initially be worn out after a half mile or a mile long run, what you'll notice, just like a human, is that in pretty short order, they're going to need to go two miles to be worn out and then three miles and then five miles. And if they skip that run for a couple days, they're gonna get a little stir crazy. Now, if you're a runner, I guess that's between you and your dog, but understand that that is a really high bar that you're setting. It's a lot to keep up with, and it's also important to keep in mind that there isn't a lot of variety there if that is your dog's only source of exercise. And it doesn't leave a lot of wiggle room for things like poor weather, sick days, or injury. Obviously, we don't want that, but life happens. So making sure that our dogs have other outlets for their energy and have other sources of enrichment and exercise is going to be crucial for their well-being and peace of mind and for ours. I did also mention variety, and that's something I wanted to just give you a couple notes about. If you are taking walks and you always take the same route every day, definitely switch that up, even if you just take the same route in the opposite direction. If you usually take a walk and decide that maybe today you'll go for a car ride, it's important to make sure that even as adults, our dogs are still being exposed to different things and different experiences in the world. We think of socialization as something that happens primarily when they're puppies, but it's really a lifelong thing that we wanna make sure that we continue to do with our dogs. And just like us, they don't want to keep doing the same thing necessarily day after day after day. Now, if you do have a dog that struggles to leave the house or has some anxiety challenges, reactivity challenges, and things like that, finding variety and things that you can do at home or in your own yard is a great way to make sure that your dog doesn't get bored. Training brand new skills, doing shaping exercises, teaching new games in your yard, whatever it happens to be for your dog, making sure that you keep things fun and exciting and are continuing to introduce variety into their day and into their activities is so, so important. And we could easily dedicate an entire episode to at-home and indoor enrichment activities and honestly, that sounds like an episode that is going to have to happen in the future, probably when it gets really hot this summer and we're going to be stuck inside looking for things to do with our dogs. So definitely keep an eye out for that one coming up in the future. 
So moving on with our show today, I do want to make sure that I take a few of your questions. And I have an email here from Laura. And thank you so much for your email, Laura. And thank you for listening. And Laura asks, My dog seems to be really obsessed with their paws. Anytime they lay down, they're licking their paws. I wake up in the morning to the sound of them licking their paws. And I keep trying to interrupt them, but every time they seem to relax and I look over, my dog is licking their paws. They're not limping and I don't see any cuts or obvious injuries. Why is my dog doing this and what can I do to make them stop? Great question. And there could be a number of things going on here and a number of factors that we look at, one of which is... When did this start? Is it a sudden change? Is it something that started slowly and has increased in frequency over time? But at the end of the day, this is a question that I would always refer to your veterinarian first. Because of the many possibilities that could include physical factors such as pain that could be contributing to this sort of a behavior, even if it's not something super obvious that would cause your dog to limp or that would leave something that you would see like a cut on your dog's paws. There are all kinds of things that could lead to discomfort that would need to be looked at and diagnosed by your veterinarian. And no amount of behavior modification or training is going to address a behavior that has a physical or medical cause. So this is something that I would definitely tell you to start with your veterinarian on. Now, if you talk to your vet and your vet determines that there is no physical factor that's contributing, then we can start to look at it from a behavior perspective. But step one is definitely going to be a conversation with your veterinarian. And this is a great opportunity to just remind everybody anytime that you see a sudden significant change in your dog's behavior, always work with your vet to rule out medical factors first. It's important to rule out the possibility that there is a physical or medical factor that could be causing the behavior issue you're seeing, especially if it's something that started suddenly. You are tuned in to Sit, Stay, Listen with the Kentucky Humane Society on Forward Radio 1065 FM featuring our original theme song and original music by John 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 Slater, and we will be back after a short break. Better start living a better life for yourself. Start living for today. Better start living a better life for your own sake.
Welcome back to Sit, Stay, Listen with the Kentucky Humane Society. I'm your host, Kate Sale, certified professional dog trainer, coming to you from Forward Radio 1065 FM. Don't forget to visit our website, forwardradio.org, and you can hit that donate button to support your grassroots community radio station. So moving on to our next question. This was sent to the Kentucky Humane Society Facebook page from Gabby. Thanks for listening, Gabby. Gabby says, Hi, Kate. I have an eight-month-old golden. Oh, that's a handful, I'm sure. Uh, That is taking everything off the counters, food, pens, towels, or anything she can reach. Then we have to chase her to get things back. And as soon as we do, she just goes back and gets something else. How can we stop this behavior? So it sounds like there are a few things going on here. First, I think it's important to note that we have a retriever at work. And retrievers are hardwired to go and get things and bring them to us. So it's important to note that this is a dog that is working to get their needs met. And it is important to look at ways to do that. But our very first steps for addressing this behavior are going to be related to management. Limit or eliminate your dog's ability to rehearse this behavior. Step one, keep your counters clear. And I know that is easier said than done, but you don't want counter surfing to continue to be an effective behavior for her. So when you say counters, I'm going to assume that we are seeing this on kitchen counters also because you mentioned food. So we also want to think about our dog's access to that specific area. Do we want to allow our dog to be in the kitchen at all? Now I know that in some cases, depending on the layout of your house, keeping your dog out of your kitchen might be easier said than done. But there are a lot of ways to limit your dog's access to certain areas of your house. If your house is set up in a way that you can simply put up a baby gate so your dog cannot go into the kitchen, that's great. Easy. And then once your dog has learned what the rules are and what the expectations are, we can eventually remove that baby gate once our dog has some basic foundation work. Now, if you do not have the option to gate your dog out of the kitchen, then we need to look at some basic manners or some other management strategies. And I'll get to that in just a moment. But the next important step that we need to keep in mind if our dog does have access to this space is going to be what kind of supervision does our dog have? And when you have an adolescent dog, we need to be very mindful of the fact that chances are they're not always going to be particularly responsible with their freedom. They're probably not ready to have free access to the house, and in this case, free access to the kitchen counter. Because of all the places in the house, the kitchen counter is the most likely to have wonderful, tasty, smelly, fantastic things. So we basically, with an adolescent dog, cannot take our eyes off of them unless we have some really specific management strategies in place, like a gate that keeps them out of the kitchen, or countertops that are void of any and all contents, for example. 
So remember that dogs do whatever it is that gets them reinforced for that behavior. So there are two ways that our dog is, based on your email, being reinforced for this behavior. And the first one is by food reward. And they're probably getting human food off that counter. That's a very high value reward. That is hitting the jackpot. So they've just been rewarded in a really incredible way for taking something off the counter. The second way that this dog is getting rewarded is by your attention. So if our dog is bored, mm, I'm bored, I'll find something that I can grab, take with me, and then I'm gonna get chased and I'll get to play a great game of keep away, which is also hugely reinforcing for our dogs. And this is where that management becomes very important. How can we limit or eliminate our dog's ability to rehearse this behavior? Now, once we have that management strategy in place, then we can start to look at basic training for this behavior. We wanna ask ourselves, what is our dog getting out of this behavior? And how can we provide these same things in a more appropriate way? Our dog is looking for entertainment. They're looking for interaction. They're looking for enrichment and of course, tasty treats. So we want to make sure that we're providing these things in a productive way and offering rewards for good behavior. Now, independent from our kitchen manners, it stands to reason that a retriever would enjoy fetch. And it sounds like your retriever is no exception. So providing an appropriate outlet for that, having a box of their toys handy that you can redirect them to so that if they do pick up something like your kitchen towel that is not appropriate for playing fetch with, you have something that you can redirect to them too. Now, in terms of our kitchen manners, now we need to decide, are we or are we not going to allow our dog in the kitchen? And if your dog is allowed in the kitchen, then we need to think about what sort of behavior in the kitchen is appropriate. So if your dog is counter surfing, constant supervision is absolutely crucial. If they have the opportunity to rehearse this behavior without you present to be able to redirect them, tell them what they're supposed to do instead, there's no way that you are going to be able to stop this behavior. They're just able to freely continue to do that. So they're being supervised, check, we got that, good job. Now make sure that you are prepared by knowing what it is that you want your dog to do. If you have some basic foundation skills, then we have a toolkit that we can work with. So have some food rewards handy Make sure they're out of reach, so either in a bait bag that you're carrying with you, not on the counter where your dog can reward themselves. And if your dog approaches the counter, you can ask your dog to sit. You can tell your dog to leave it. If you've taught your dog a hand target, which means tag my hand with your nose, you can ask your dog to target your hand away from that kitchen counter. What you're looking for is an incompatible behavior, something that your dog can do that is not compatible with jumping on the counter. So they can't tag your hand with their nose away from the counter 
and jump on the counter at the same time. So if we can cue an incompatible behavior that we can reward, then our dog is getting rewarded for doing something appropriate. And when I reward my dog in this scenario, rather than handing them that treat, I'll actually take that reward and I will slide it across the floor out of the kitchen area. And I do that for two different reasons. I'm encouraging my dog to move away from the kitchen counter and to keep their nose to the floor. Good things come from the floor, not from the kitchen counter. And if your dog is outside of the kitchen, you can always toss a reward to them over that gate or just slide a treat across that floor. So from here, you can also work on a down behavior. So if you've ever practiced a go place cue or taught your dog to settle on a mat, this is a beautiful behavior to use in this particular circumstance. Find a spot in your kitchen and I like to use a spot that is on the way to my kitchen space that my dog has to pass through, but maybe not all the way into my kitchen space. And as soon as my dog steps on that kitchen mat on their way to me, I will click or say yes, and then I will toss that treat away past that mat out of the kitchen. They move away from the mat, they go get it, and then they're going to have to walk across that mat again if they want to come back into the kitchen. And then I say, yes, again, toss the treat again. So they're not actually going to get past that mat. So we're teaching an alternative behavior. In the kitchen, we settle on our mat. That's where the rewards come from, not from the counter. But again, it's crucial that if our dog is in the kitchen or anywhere that they are taking things off the counter, that we are there supervising them. They cannot be in that space unattended. And one more helpful piece of advice. If you have a dog that snatches things and runs away with them, I will often have my dog wear their leash, a six foot leash, in the house. Now please note an extremely important safety rule for this. Never leave your dog's leash on unless they are directly supervised. This is only to be done under direct supervision. But if our dog is wearing a leash and they pick up and run away with something, we have the ability to simply take hold of that leash so that they can't take off. Rather than chasing our dog reaching for a collar and teaching our dog that our hands are scary or that we can play keep away or dodge being caught. We can just quietly pick up the end of that leash, stop the retreat or the keep away game. And then I always call my dog to me. My goal is always to teach the dog to bring something back to me so I don't have to chase them for it. I don't wanna end up in a cycle of keep away. So if they pick something up, my answer is generally, oh, what's that? What do you have? Why don't you bring that here? And if my dog is wearing a leash, I have the ability to pick up that leash and my dog can only get six feet away. And so they only have to bring that item six feet to me. And if you keep treats on you, you are prepared to trade a treat for whatever it is that your dog is bringing back to you. And that can make your life a whole lot easier. 
So I hope that is helpful for you as you're working with your countersurfing friend. And for the rest of you out there listening, remember that I'm here to take your questions. You can send those to the Kentucky Humane Society Facebook page, or you can send them by email to behavior at kyhumane.org. I would love to hear from you. Remember that the Kentucky Humane Society does offer dog training services, and you can find more information about that on our website, kyhumane.org. You are tuned in to Forward Radio 106.5 FM. Thank you for listening. Everybody take care and have a great rest of your day. I think it's time to sit and stay listening.